This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and this time we are talking about machine learning rules. Are you ready to follow the rules, Dave? Uh, I'm not sure about rules. More <laughs> of guidelines, I think. Well, I'm saying rules because we're talking about an article here written by Martin Zinkovich. Sorry if I butchered that. Who has written an article in the best practices uh, line of articles from Google. And this one talks about ML engineering. And he's listed like 50 rules or something. 43, I think. 43? Ah, yes. Close enough. And uh, yeah, as you say, more than rules. These are mostly best practices, things that Google apparently keeps in mind when they're doing their machine learning mm -hmm. projects. Um, it's an interesting summation of all different things. There's a little video at the top for people with short attention spans where he lists his 10 favorite rules. And we thought it would be a nice idea to just go over the article and pick our 10 favorite rules. Or even our 8, or possibly 9. So the, the article, I think, is quite good because it does go into lots and lots of detail uh, on, on all 40, or a reasonable amount of detail on 43 different rules or guidelines in my opinion um, but it is broken up into eight different sections so we've uh, we've chosen a rule from each section and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll consider those our eight favorites <laughs> but there's one kind of overriding uh, concern sort of which comes before all of this yeah, and that's actually a great way of expressing it here. Uh, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Do machine learning like the great engineer you are, not like great machine learning expert you aren't. And um, just to make clear, this article is actually written for people who are just starting in their machine learning uh, life. So not uh, the, 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 the biggest, bestest algorithmic knowing all machine learning guy out there, but basically you got this thing, you think machine learning is a good approach for it, let's start a project doing machine learning for the first time. And this sentence kind of sums it up start small start with the stuff you know because a lot of the things you already know are very going to be very important in whatever you're doing and machine learning which may at the end of the whole tra trajectory be the most important part or the thing that really gives the value don't start with that at the beginning because there's so much you need to put in place first uh, looking at how your data comes in how your data comes in in a reliable every time you get the data it's reliable trustworthy it's clean and stays the same those are a lot of things you have to look at first make sure that that all works it's like when you build a house make sure your foundation is correct and then when you put in the attic with uh, the man cave and all of the big electronics make sure the foundation is there and that will uh, solve a lot of problems for you and don't forget that even if you're debarking on a big machine learning thing your first steps will be very simple and don't require machine learning to already have a deployable product Okay, I think you're skipping ahead a little bit here. Oh, so, I'm uh, the first phase, here. <laughs> I know, spoiler alerts. But the first phase is before machine learning. Exactly. And again, the, the nice thing about this is really focusing on framing what it is that you're trying to achieve first. And as Jan alluded to, the first phase here is actually the very first product, even if you've decided that you want to do something that involves machine learning, the very first product that you put out may actually not have any machine learning in at all. Yeah, because uh, quite often when you're trying to put uh, put machine learning in action, you're already doing what you want to be doing without machine learning today. You already have rules and processes. You just want to make them more scalable, more automated, faster using machine learning. But you already have a basis there. And the first easy step in any project like this is to just take what you have 
formalize it and just have a small rule-based engine. Don't make it too complex. At a certain point, you will get diminishing returns and go, don't go that far. But it is a great place to start and to test that foundation of your data pipeline ingest, your how I'm going to, how am I going to deploy my models? How is that going to land? How is that going to be scalable? You can do all of that stuff without having a machine learning model, but by just formalizing the rules you're already using today, which you know are good. I mean, if you put those in production, they'll work pretty well because you've been using up to today as anyway. So just continue what you have, but in that future machine learning product flow. And yeah, that's the first rule we like. That's rule one. Don't be afraid to launch a product without machine learning, basically. Pretty much. So phase two, machine learning phase one. <laughs> which is slightly confusing. Apologies for that. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, your first pipeline. Yeah, here uh, I'm picking rule four. And it's basically just building on what we've been talking on uh, about already. Keep your first model simple and get the infrastructure right. It's just, again, you're leaving the, the, the world of formalized rule-based engines. You're going to your machine learning stuff. Get your infrastructure right again. Because again, when you're doing programming, you're probably using stuff like GitHub and version control and uh, continuous integration pipeline, stuff like that. When you go into the machine learning world, we've had episodes about this when we talked about data ops. You'll have to do the kind of same things. Make sure that that works. Make sure that the infrastructure is right. And again, sure, you can start using a simple linear regression thing here. Make sure it's at least as good as your rule-based engine had before you started using machine learning. But basically, put a lot more effort into getting the infrastructure right at this point. Machine learning is going to be an iterative approach. You will be doing iterations on your model for the next 20 years, hopefully. Infrastructure is something you need to get right from the start or your product will crumble. Mm-hmm. So, following phase is monitoring. Yeah, it's still kind of encapsulated under the ML phase one. You need to have monitoring in place there yeah. as well. And there's a couple, all of these are good ones, but the one I took here is uh, one that's close to my heart, and it's rule nine, detect problems before exporting models. And the difference there is, uh, as eloquently written by uh, Martin here, issues about models that haven't been exported require an email alert, but issues on a user-facing model require a page which means that I'm okay with getting a little email in the morning that a build failed or a certain uh, model gives out really bonkers. It's a lot worse if it's a production system and you get called out of bed at 3 a.m. and have to (laughs) kind of figure out what's going wrong. Testing your stuff is important. Uh, Just like with uh, with normal development systems, you have test suites, you'd have testing functions in your code, Typically, if you're doing it right, you should write your tests first and then write the code that makes the test succeed. In machine learning, it's a little harder perhaps, but still make sure you test your, the, your, your machine learning iterations. Make sure that they're at least as good as the old model version was, or at least you can explain why it's different. And hopefully your infrastructure has been uh, deployed in a way that is uh, stable and secure, so you shouldn't have any worries there, but... Uh, when the models change, sometimes you'll need to change stuff in your infrastructure as well. Make sure it's all fully tested before you put it into production, because it will bite you if you don't. Indeed, indeed. Wise words. So, next step or next phase that's mentioned here is the first objective. Yeah, here basically he's talking about okay, you want to do this, this uh, you want to do this machine learning thing, and uh, what should your machine learning thing do? It should make the world perfect. 
It's a great objective, shouldn't be your first objective. First objective should be simple. Again, you're learning how to work with this stuff. Make sure that you don't overcomplicate things. And that's why I chose rule 14, which says starting with an interpretable model makes debugging easier. In this day and age, there's a lot of hype going on and everybody needs to have TensorFlow with uh, convoluted network, neural networks at least a thousand layers deep, right? Well, I'm not sure that's true. Well, it's <laughs> quite possible that that will give you the best result. The problem is that if something goes wrong, you have no clue what's going wrong because you went too deep too fast. By starting with your heuristics, your rule-based engine first, making a simple uh, model first with not too many features, not too much complexity in there, and then gradually building on top of it, when things go wrong, you'll be able to interpret what the model, how the model works and find easier where it's going wrong. So again, don't try to... Um, impress the boss by having the most complicated thing out there in production as soon as possible. Go for consistency. Remember that 3 a.m. page. <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah. And it also comes down to things like, uh, you know, potentially depending on the industry you're in, auditability. You know, if, yep. if something catastrophic happens from the deployment of your model in some kind of healthcare system and you can't understand why that catastrophic thing happened um you know that may be that may be something that's just not something you can you can deploy you know mm. maybe you need to be able to audit and be able to actually tune or decide why certain things have happened certain ways um you know another example might be you know an insurance yeah. um, system where you need to be able to tell people potentially under an audit why they were you know approved or declined mm-hmm. um, their coverage you know things like that so there's there's a lot of reasons to have uh, an interpretable model uh, not just for debugging on a you know software engineering side but actually for the business there's a real value there yeah 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 so maybe some legal requirements in there definitely yeah yeah so now the next next major phase here ml phase two feature engineering what do we have here yeah and feature engineering i mean you will be doing some feature engineering at the start the moment you start uh, doing something machine learning you will need your features and you need to engineer those features to make your machine learning better and stuff but you shouldn't pay too much attention at that point at the beginning again infrastructure is important and having the flow work and having your first simple models running once that's all, all going well, you, uh, you're up for the next step, which is feature engineering. And the one I picked here is start with directly observed and reported features as opposed to learned features. And this also kind of ties into rule 40, which goes along, uh, comes up a lot far later about ensembles. And the idea here is that, again, in the aspect of interpretability, if you don't understand where your features came from, and features, uh, just to make sure that everybody's on the, on the same track here, that's your columns in your data set. You have a data set, if you look at it as, as, a, as a traditional column row uh, visualization, every column in your data set is a feature, it's a field, it's a something, a data point on a record, which you can use to train your model. Simple features are uh, temperature, for instance. So it can be a metric, that's a temperature, it's a scale from 1 to 100. 100 means cooking, 0 means freezing, easy. Engineered or learned features are features that are a result of another machine learning pro- uh, project. If, for example, you took those uh, temperatures 
you gave it to a classification algorithm that spits out good or bad. Now, good and bad sound real simple and understandable, but the, it isn't, because good and bad are value statements. 32, 27, 73, that's a clear thing. If you know the temperature, you know exactly what it means. Good and bad is very uh, context-dependent. So even if you're going to start with your feature engineering here, try and still keep it all relatively simple and explainable. And yeah, make sure you can still understand what the thing is doing. And again, at this point, you can already be giving extra value to your organization. Your machine learning system can already add value by being able to do that rule-based manual process at scale, faster, more reliable, without human interaction as much as possible. So you already are doing something positive here. It's not like you're still doing the training wheels at all. But still, crawl before you can walk, walk before you can run, run before you die, something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> do it iteratively, step by step, and feature, uh, feature engineering is a pitfall that can really make you regret even starting with this because if at a certain point you have so many engineered features you don't really understand anymore how the thing works how do you know if it's doing what it's supposed to be doing yeah yeah, yeah. which leads back to the next one into, yeah i was gonna say some of this comes into the yeah the testing and and the other that the other things that we've kind of mentioned before around detecting the problems with models and all this kind of stuff it's all it's all nicely integrated it's all nicely related but yes, the next phase, human analysis of the system. And uh, what's your what's your favorite rule at this point? Well, this is a bit of a, a sidestep, perhaps, because it's not a technical one. It's rule 23. You're not a typical end user. And this is actually a bias thing, because we've, we've, we've talked about bias in machine learning before, but it's been a while, I think, so it's good to uh, uh, take, take it up again. Refresh that topic. Uh -huh. If you're looking at how your system is performing you're looking at it with a lot of knowledge about the system. And it's very easy to hand wave things that aren't really good, but yeah, I know why it's doing that, so it's okay. That's not how you should look at this thing. Make sure that a human person does analysis of the system. Make sure that a person is looking at it with, well, I'm going to say it, common sense. And also realize when you are doing that, that you're not a typical end user and make sure that you don't allow problems to crop up and stay in there by looking at it as with a fine-tooth comb and trying to get all of the technology right and kind of losing uh, sight of what the actual end goal of the whole thing was to give that value add yeah. to the company process. I think this is possibly one of the more difficult phases that are identified here. And in fact, uh, Martin, the author, mentions... Um, the fact that this is not something that is particularly easy to say, do this, do this, do this, and do this, but rather this is, I mean, the, these rules are presented as a set of, as he, as he calls them, anti-patterns, you know, try not to do this, try mm -hmm. not to do this. So it, it's kind of, this definitely feels like one of the more complicated areas uh, of this uh, side of things because it's not quite so clearly black and white. Yeah, yeah. I also, I feel a lot of uh, lessons learned in here about things that went wrong mm. and they lived through and have decided we will never do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next phase, uh, training serving skew. What's this all about? 
Um, well, this is when you're actually deploying your machine learning algorithms uh, at scale, as I say it, and regularly updating stuff. So you have your microservices fabric running or your Docker Kubernetes cluster, whatever. And uh, you, you every day you have a new model trained, you push it out there, gets put in there. One thing you have to be careful about is how does the model work once it's in production compared to how you trained it? And I'm taking uh, rule 29 here. The best way to make sure that you train like you serve is to save the set of features used at training, train, sorry, at serving time and then pipe those features to a log to use them at training time. Mm-hmm. And this is a bit of a, uh, a cyclical nature of the whole thing and coupled with um, data ops, you know, DevOps for data projects, where you don't yep. just save the scripts and have versions of all the scripts and the machine learning algorithm settings and stuff like that, but also have the data sets you trained with in that uh, configuration management system as well. So you can actually reuse those things to train new models on old data, see if it changes, if it doesn't change, okay, what's it due to differences in data, differences in code. So you actually have that whole... Um, yeah, historical sites. If you only have your code there, it's very hard to redo a test you did last month if you don't have the data from that time anymore. Yeah. And just like when you want to reuse the same data or at least have the same data there, also a Lambda approach and a true Lambda approach where you try and use as identical code in training and in production will also help you not have a lot of training serving skew, making sure that... Yeah. If you're trained it on the data, which is the same data as used in production, with the same code as used in production, and not just for machine learning algorithm, for, for the whole inv- the whole environment, whole infrastructure as well, yeah. it will make sure that when you go to bed knowing you tested everything to the to the ninth degree and it's all working perfectly and it goes to production, it will still be that same level of quality and stability. Fair enough. All makes sense to me. So, on to the next phase then, ML phase three. Now we're on to slowed growth, optimization, refinement, and complex models. So, this at this point, ratcheting up the, the complexity of, of what you're doing, again, iterating, building on everything that's been done so far. Yeah, the way I read this is this is the point where it's actually in production, it's doing its thing, millions are being made. If it ever disappeared, people would be in trouble. And you're not really getting any fast uh, return on on developments. I mean, in the beginning stages, you go from uh, one algorithm to another algorithm, you change a hyper-tuning parameter, and you get double the productivity out of the machine learning model. At a certain point, that plateaus. It doesn't work anymore that way. It's kind of getting incremental changes instead of revolutionary changes in there, tuning, tweaking a little bit. And you also see in the in the rules in this uh, part of the article that he's more talking about. Uh, I would almost call it project management. How you how you what kind of changes are still uh, enough value to make you re uh, iterate on the on the on the model or not? Um, one of the things that I think you actually uh, pointed out here, rule forty one. Uh, when performance plateaus, looks for quali- qual- qualitatively new sources of information to add rather than refining existing signals. So again, the, the machine learning algorithm has been tuned, your features have been engineered, it's pretty much doing what it can do when there's not much, I mean, a car has four wheels, adding two more wheels isn't going to make the car faster. You might have to look at a new engine or a, a new kind of petrol or something like that. And in these cases, you can start looking at adding new data. 
um, yeah. having a and this is this device. is one of those kind of return on investment sort of return on investment from a time perspective things isn't it as, as at least as I understand it when you you reach a certain point yes you know continued effort into the model will eventually almost certainly produce gains and improvements but not in the you know, not at the same level once you get your model to a certain level of accuracy. So mm. thinking about what other data sources you can bring in is likely to make a far, far more significant impact on the accuracy than just that continued tweaking, tuning to try and squeeze out that last, you know, percent or, you know, element of a percent to, to kind of improve that uh, accuracy. I think this is... This is one of the areas where I think people do get stuck in sort of um, some sort of target fixation where they, they they continue fiddling with the thing that they've been fiddling with for a long time and, and kind of lose the wider picture of actually you could just add more data to this and it would, it would already improve dramatically. And it's also the flip side to this. The mm-hmm. reason that adding data sources only comes in the last phase of this whole rule set is because at the earlier phases, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't yeah. change. Your f- Again, we talked about feature engineering. Don't go overboard there. Once you start your machine learning with a data set that works for you, first look at optimizing your machine learning, get the experience in that part before you start adding new data sets. Because adding a new data set can really skew the results, can really change how it works, how it functions, how long it trains, for instance, can be very different. More data, and we're not talking about more rows in the same data set, right? We're adding different data sets here, different pieces of information that need to be correlated with the existing data. So there's a lot of work there. A lot of testing needs to be redone. Regression testing needs to be redone. And a lot of, um, how do you call that, unpredictability can get introduced here. So that's why this is something to do in phase three. At a point, your machine learning doing, it's doing pretty much what it can do. Okay, now when we know the infrastructure is good, we know the environment is solid, we know the machine learning works, let's start doing the more complicated complicated thing by adding new data sets and see how we can actually improve or unimprove things, if that's a word. And because you're at this point, at this point in time, you should have had some, you should already have some backlog of different uh, versions of your machine learning algorithm. You will actually have a, uh, I, I hate to call it a benchmark, but a, a record of success that you can compare the new versions to, to see if you're actually moving in the right direction or not. Because if adding different data set makes the machine learning algorithms uh, worse, eh, maybe not don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, all good points. All good points. So those are the main kind of that's that's one rule for each of the phases. And uh, while we've been recording, I've sneaked a few more in just to just to yeah. wind up. Um, <laughs> so just bonus rules, bonus rules. As we've been going through this, there are a f- there's one certainly that I I see often, and that is um, back up in the monitoring phase. Rule number eight: know the freshness requirements of your system. Um, this is. Uh, I, I can't state how often I have heard people talking about this and getting themselves completely tied up in knots without even really understanding what the requirements are. So to, to go into a little bit more depth, this is where you need to understand things like how often do you need to retrain your model based on uh, how the environment around it is changing. Now, a lot of people will start off 
on one of the two extremes. You know, one is where they think they'll kind of build the model and then they'll train it once and it'll just run forever. Uh, or maybe they'll they'll retrain it, you know, every every three or four months or whatever. And then you get other people that are at the complete opposite end of the spectrum thinking, oh yeah, we'll be retra- retraining our model every hour or every 15 minutes or... Every and, time the data changes. Yeah, and, and the, the thing that always amuses me about this kind of conversation is that usually they're doing this um, at the v- very, very early on stages of the project before they've even actually cut any code or started anything. So I guess the point here is don't just make a lot of these, and this goes for this this whole situation really, don't, don't just make these decisions outright up front before you've actually got something that you can point to. You know, a lot of the, the big data things are about making decisions based on data rather than just this gut feel or or however else it might be and uh, so I, I don't know if that's been your experience as well but it's certainly been mine yeah it's definitely something you need to look at uh which with more than just gut feeling and have some reason why you're doing that just just knowing that you your machine learning training takes an hour oh so i can do 24 times a day that's not how you should be doing it. You should be looking at your use case. What are you trying to achieve? And sometimes it may look to be a good idea to uh, update your model every single time the data changes. And one of the most uh, best examples there is recommendation engines. Every time I buy something in the, in the web shop, obviously the machine learning algorithm needs to retrain my preferences so that the, the next page that loads after I've done uh, my checkout should already incorporate the, that new um, uh, purchase and change my recommendations, mm-hmm. right? That's how it works. Well, maybe. Probably not. Because, <laughs> <laughs> now I do agree, it's annoying if I just buy something for the next three weeks, all I get is ads buying for, to buy that same thing again. So yeah. it's, it's how 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 disturbing and scary and upsetting is it that that happens a lot? <laughs> yeah, we're pretty good at that these days, and but that's also why people think they need to retrain as soon as possible. But yeah, it also includes the fact that you won't have time to test the new models, and your new models could be doing very strange things because a data set was changed or whatever. So. Again, at the beginning of your of your journey here, maybe not do it as often as possible. But if you're doing something like a recommendation engine and you are planning to need to do that in the future, it might make sense to look at your infrastructure decisions and already have something set up that can at least support that when you need it. Talking about the surrounding infrastructure there, not the machine learning algorithms themselves, but more the data freshness. Because if I need to retrain my machine learning after a purchase has been done, I must make sure that that purchase action somehow gets filtered through the system to my data set where I actually do my training. Indeed, indeed. So that was my bonus rule. Which one's which one's yours? Oh, I get a choice. Forty-three or forty. Now I have to do some fast reading. This is uh, this is live radio, people. Forty, forty-three, uh, forty. Uh, keep it almost simple. I already, I already mentioned that one, so I'm not going to take that one. So let's go. Forty-three. Your friends tend to be the same across different products. Your interests tend not to be. You want to take that? I want to get. Want to hear me first about it? 
No, I want to hear you. It's all about you. Well, I don't have any friends, so that's easy for me. <laughs> the thing Martin's talking about here is that, uh, and it's something we've, uh, that's more generic, actually. It's don't invent the, the wheel if there's a lot of wheels being made around you already. So you have if you're in a machine learning environment and more people are doing this stuff, hey, uh, what do you call it? A recommendation engine, a recommendation engine, and probably what other teams have built to recommend, I don't know, swimming boats. Swimming boats? Sailboats. Let's call it sailboats. That doesn't sound like a thing. It's <laughs> better. Uh, it's probably also something you can use to recommend, uh, I don't know, uh, newspaper subscriptions. Well, yes, but no. Maybe the technology will be usable, the infrastructure will be reusable, but your machine yeah. learning will definitely be different. So feel free to, to lend from your friends, but make sure it actually serves the interest that you're looking for. It isn't always the same. Indeed. Indeed. Words to live by, I think. So overall, I think this there's, there are many, many, many more rules <laughs> slash guidelines in this, in this article. Um, yeah, I want to do them all, but I wasn't allowed to buy Dave. No, that's right. Uh, I, I didn't want uh, this to become uh, an insomniac's uh, go-to yeah. listening but, material. But not only that, I mean, it's it's a good article. So if you want to learn about all of them, just go to the, the blog post. The link will be there and have a full read through it. It's uh, quite a lengthy article, so don't think uh, you'll do this in five minutes. But it has some uh, very tangible and practical and useful advice in them, I think. I do. I do think so as well. So, anything else from you? Uh, nope. I did my eight rules, which I was allowed to do, so I'm very happy now. Fabulous. In that case, that is all the time we have for today, including all of our rules and guidelines. <laughs> you can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. Uh, we're on YouTube. Just like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all the YouTube things. Still possibly on our quest to 100 subscribers, or maybe we've already made it. Who knows? We will see. Please go to www.rollingelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Thank you.